Amen. Hey, once again, we are in our study, World Religions, Cults, and the Occult. Mary, I picked on you last time. Ron, I'm going to do it to you because you guys are married. That's right. It is number 13 is Charismatic Chaos. Sandy, what's the tagline? Well, you perked right up. Look at that. I like that. I'm not ready to fall asleep. Yeah, hey, give it for Sandy and Ron. That's right. You guys are doing good. That's right. Now the rest of you are going to sneak up here and look at it in case you get picked next week. That's right. Uh, but hey, by way of recap, we've already dealt with the disclaimer. I'm not saying everybody who's a charismatic is involved in the occult, but there's cultish and occultish stuff going on. We're dealing with it. That's our study. The movement itself is nothing new. This whole thing about gibberish that they're doing is nothing new. Spiritual gifts, we dealt with that in great detail. We looked at the aberrant behavior, uh, and now we've been in the aberrant beliefs for quite some time. We dealt with already the, the fallacy of female pastors is not uh, true. Prosperity gospel is not the gospel. It's a false gospel. It's a gospel of greed that the Bible warned about will come in the last days. Deliverance ministries, praise God. We don't need some secret guru to tell us how to deal with spiritual warfare. Praise God. Each individual Christian has that freedom and authority in Jesus Christ. And then last time we dealt with the other aberrant belief, and they believe, by and large, most charismatics, that you can lose your salvation is where we left off last time. And But we saw, does the Bible say that you can lose your salvation? No, we just dealt with one, just one passage that how many times was reiterated with absolute statements, no way, no one, everybody's going, Jesus saves you, saves you completely, over and over again. That was John chapter 6 uh, was that passage. And so we began the journey then last week, well, why in the world, then if the Bible's very clear, when you're saved, you're saved forevermore, the salvation is complete in Christ, then why would the charismatic community say that it's not? Well... I think as we dealt with before, it's because of this issue. They forgot about the counterfeits, those that say that they're Christians, but they're really not. And they look at some scenario of somebody says, I was a Christian, but they walked away. The Bible says they were never with us from the very beginning, including this guy. Let's take a look. First question out of the gate is just simply, how the heck do you just up and become atheist after being a pastor for a whole year? Um, I think over the years there have just been some growing differences between uh, myself and the denomination, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, over theology, some policy issues, um, some um, social issues, our uh, desire to uh, stand with the gay and lesbian population uh, in our community and members of our church that were uh, gay, lesbian, transgender members. And um, so we came to some disagreements that were, um, you know, irreconcilable, and I think we all agreed that it was, um, I had sort of outgrown my place in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So how do you just turn away from, from Christ just like that? Yeah, I mean, people have made those kinds of statements. Um, again, I, I think um, religion and faith are things that are full of nuance and people's personal experiences. You know, my experience is not like that of some others. And I think the tendency that people have is to think of religion and faith in binary categories. So you're either all of one thing or you're all of another thing. Either you're completely a Christian and completely sold on all the ideas about being a Christian or you're an atheist and you've completely abandoned all faith. And I think the reality that I've discovered in the last six days for sure is that the vast majority of people are somewhere between those two poles and uh, I'm with them in that middle space. Wow, where do you even start on that? Middle space. Does the Bible teach that there's this mystical, magical middle ground where I, I'm not really fully sold on Jesus Christ, but I'm not just a flat-out you know, pagan. I'm just kind of in this middle ground. No, there is no middle ground. That's a lie. The Bible says you're the servant God or you're serving who? The devil. 
Okay, he's with that. Oh, by the way, so that pastor, I mean, he was a pastor, and he, now he says he's an atheist. He lost his salvation. No, he never had in the first place. Again, just by way of recap, 1 John 2.19 tells us confidently what's the status of that guy. Quote, they went out from us because they didn't really belong to us. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them, including that guy, belonged to us. So he was what? He was a counterfeit. And it began to show. First of all, he didn't start off in a good group. Remember, he was a pastor of the Seventh-day Adventists. We dealt in our study in great detail. That's not Christianity. Okay, so that wasn't good ground to be in, number one. Okay, but then he went what? Who cares what God's word says? He's about the social gospel. He's about promoting uh, what he thinks is right and wrong, including about homosexuality and blah, blah, blah. So you're not even following the Bible. Right. So again, but the Bible confidently says you didn't lose your salvation. You never had in the first place. This was the first thing we took a look at last week. The charismatics, they look at that guy and say, well, see, he lost his son. No, you forgot about the counterfeit. Now, the second thing, we're getting a couple more that they forget about. Why would they say that you can lose your salvation when the Bible's clear you can't? Right. Well, the next one they do is they forget about the context. First is the counterfeits. The second, it's the context. Okay. Now, believe it or not, these same people... Okay, not only disagree with the Bible, which again, you're supposed to be a Christian, you're supposed to agree with the Bible, but they say that they're Christians and they they say that you can lose your salvation, which actually contradicts the Bible, okay, Uh, which by the way, does God's word contradict himself? No, so if he says you're saved forevermore and nothing can snatch you out of his hand, and then you say he... You're creating a contradiction. That can't be from God because God never contradicts himself. God never gets it wrong. But the the audacity, though, is even though they say you can lose your salvation, which contradicts the Bible, they actually have the audacity to say that, oh, yeah, well, the Bible says you can lose your salvation. And they start whipping out these verses that seem like on the surface. (gasps) But when you take a look at the context, 100 percent of the time. Because God doesn't lie and he doesn't contradict himself. When you're saved, you're saved forevermore. But when you take a look at the context, that's not what's going on in those passages. Now, I don't have time to get into every single one of them, but I'm going to give you several of them quickly just to give you an idea that every single time they blow it on the context. The Bible does not say you can lose your salvation. Now, the first example is in Revelation chapter 3. Open your Bibles there. That's our opening text for tonight. Revelation chapter 3. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people spit this out, and that's a pun intended, as you'll see in a second with the passage. Uh, They spit this thing out as if, see, right there, you can lose your salvation. No, you can't. That's not even what he's talking about. Right, Revelation chapter 3, we'll just take a look at two verses here. Okay, dealing with the church of Laodicea, which again, not a good condition to be in. Do not emulate this church. Okay, but here's what Jesus uh, says, right? Verse 15, when you get there, say moo. Moo. Doesn't that just make you smile when you hear that? That's just awesome. That just brings peace to your soul. But let's move on. Uh, verse 15, Jesus speaking here, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Well, it's right there, folks. Right there. The Bible's very clear. Jesus speaking. If you're a Christian, you could lose your salvation. You could be spit out of the mouth of God. Wrong answer. Now, it says that it'd be spit out of your mouth, but they're taking it out of context. That's not at all what the context is dealing with. Right? And this is, again, an easy example that they do. The context, first of all, starts with the context of the seven churches. 
right? Which Laodicea is one of them. Chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. John, throughout those letters, he talks about two different groups of people. Okay, we, they, he uses certain terms. There's two groups of people he's talking about in these churches, right? And uh, Christians, non-Christians. Again, he uses terms like you, and then he switches and says they. So what does that imply? Is that the same audience? No, it's two different groups, okay? And the reason why we know these particular people that he's talking about here being spit out, okay, we're not even dealing with Christians is because of the fruit factor, And what's Jesus say? I believe in Matthew 7. You will know the fake, the false teachers, the fake ones, the phony ones by their fruit. Okay. And what kind of fruit do these people have? Nothing. They weren't even cold. Like, man, when it's 110 degrees here in Vegas, what is so refreshing? Not lukewarm water. That'll make you vomit, right? No, but cold water. Oh, that's awesome. Well, they weren't even that. Well, they weren't even hot. Like, man. If you're in Germany and it gets it's snowing and you're freezing to death, right? A hot cup of coffee or something like that is just, whoa, wonderful. But you're coming out of the blizzard. What do you want? Lukewarm coffee? These guys were nothing. That's what's going on here. You were you were good. You were good for nothing. There was nothing coming out of you. These guys wanted Jesus. Were making him, if you will, want to puke because they were posing as Christians, but they were imposters. Again, as we saw in our last study, do people go to church services and do nothing? They're neither hot, they're neither cold, they're good for nothing. They sit there and suck up air. Remember we, right? And then we saw, I don't know your heart, but that ain't good. Because how can you be a Christian and say you love Jesus and you don't serve Jesus? You don't speak about Jesus. You have no desire to seek him, learn about him, grow in him, share him. And you sit there and you do. How? What? Maybe it's because you're an imposter. That's what he's talking about here. These people were not Christians. Read the context. Okay, is what's going on there. Now, the second big passage they bring up is Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10. Now, let me bring that up on the screen for you. You can turn there if you want. Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10, but here's the classic ones. They'll say, oh, yeah, but what about these passages? Right? Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have, been t- who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away... To be brought back to repentance. And then Hebrews 10, 26-27. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Oh, there it is. A Christian can fall away and lose your salvation. No. Read the context. According to the context, these people in the context are also not Christians. It's, there's some key things that are going on there. It says they shared in, literally in the Greek, partnered with the Holy Spirit. Now, a true Christian, we know at the moment of salvation, you're not an external partner with the Holy Spirit. You're what? You're an internal possessor of the Holy Spirit. Distinction number one. And the point that he's making is these people have been enlightened to the truth. They have, if you will, tasted the goodness of the gospel externally, but these people were not going to receive it internally. The people in the context he's talking about here is apostates. These people will never repent. They know it's the truth. They get it in their head. They see it. They hear it. They know about God. They know about Jesus. They'll even say, yeah, man, I know he died on the cross for my sins, but they do nothing about it. They don't ever receive it. 
It just stays right here. Does that ever happen to people at churches? How many times if you and I, uh, I, I give, we give the gospel every single week. My guess is, unfortunately, there's probably even after as many years as I've been here, there's probably people who sit here every single week and I get the gospel and they go, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, and they still don't receive it. I mean, it's right there. You know it. You've tasted it. It's here. You know, but you will not. How many times you witness it to somebody? Man, and they know it. And they, they almost complete, yeah, I know. You told me before. Jesus is the way. And they don't do it. They don't swallow. They don't receive it. Externally, they got it going out here, but they, it never makes it on the inside. That's what he's talking about here. Read the context. Let me give you another example. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 9. The Apostle Paul speaking here. They'll bring this up. Oh, yeah? You can lose your salvation. What about this? This is what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 9, 26-27. Therefore, Paul says, I do not run like a man running aimlessly, and I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body uh, and make it my slave. Now, for those of you who got the King James, that's kind of a cool translation, especially here in Vegas, because it actually says he buffets his body. And if ever you need an excuse, Ruth. But see, that's not what it means, though. That's why it says here, I beat my body, right? Uh, and make it my slave. Why? So that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Oh, no, it says right there, Paul speaking, you can be disqualified and lose your salvation. No, read the context. Of this passage, what he's talking about here. This passage is not even talking about salvation, let alone does it even mention salvation. What this context is talking about is prizes, if you will, or Christian rewards. Is there such a thing as Christian rewards? Yes, the Bible mentions at least five different crowns in the scriptures that you can earn, that you can get to heaven. And if you got more than the other guy, you get to sing that song. My crown's bigger than your crown. Hey, my crown's, you got two, I got five, you're a loser. No, we're not going to do that. Revelation 4, we lay the crowns at his feet, etc. Blah, blah, blah. There's not a competition thing, but it's a privilege. Don't you want to get there? Instead of just 1 Corinthians 3, it says there, they made it, but even as one escaping through the flames in other words all you got is a pile of smoke to give to jesus i don't want to just give him smoke i want to at least give him a couple crowns not because that's how i get there it's a privilege right to lay at his feet because it's complete but that's what paul's talking about he's talking about rewards paul is beating his body into submission not out of fear that he's gonna be disqualified for salvation it's not even talking about salvation he doesn't want to lose out on the privilege of getting to heaven and laying crowns at the feet of christ he doesn't want to miss out on the rewards. That's what he's talking about. Okay. Now, oh, by the way, does this ever happen to Christians? Do Christians ever get sidetracked? Do they ever, frankly, unfortunately, we'll find out one day, miss out on rewards they could have earned, but no, they were more concerned about this world or themselves or whatever, and they get off on this detour? Yeah. Happens, unfortunately, all the time. And that's why Paul says he beats his body. In other words, he's disciplined. Live a disciplined life. So that I don't forget that Christ always comes first. Don't run after this world. No, stop, stop, stop. No, don't, don't run hard. That's what he's talking about, being disciplined. And not letting this world distract you from earning a crown for Christ. The fourth one they'll bring up there, and they'll say, oh yeah, but what about Paul said this in Galatians chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. Here's what he says. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Oh no, there it is. Jim, you can fall away from grace and lose your salvation. No, 
Read the context of what he's talking about. Now, the Galatians, in fact, Paul uses some pretty strong words for the Galatians, believers, right? The cleaned up version is, oh, you foolish Galatians, <laughs> right? Actually, it's very strong in the original language. It's, I'll just say what it is. You stupid. I'll just leave it at that. Who has bewitched you? Who has what? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And the problem with the Galatians were they were born again Christians. And now, being indwelt with the Holy Spirit, how do we live? By means of the Spirit. Internally, God writes his law on his heart. I don't need a Ten Commandments to tell me it's wrong to lie and, or, and murder and steal and whatever. The Holy Spirit convicts you. And you, you walk and live and keep in step with the Spirit. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the spiritual way that we live as Christians. And what happens is these false teachers come into Galatians and say, Oh, no, you need to go back to the law. And Paul says, what are you, No, what are you doing, you foolish Galatians? Right? And he says, If you go back to the Old Testament system of rules and regulations... Right, And that's your means of living. It's going to cut you off from the grace of God. Meaning, it's going to cut you off from the power to live a Christ-like life. Because if we can live a Christ-like life with the Old Testament law, just the rules and regulations, why do we need Jesus? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Right, and That's what he says. If you go back to just Old Testament rules and regulations instead of learning to walk and live and keep in step with the Spirit of God who will empower you to live that Christ-like life and stay away from the flesh and experience the fruit of the Spirit, if you go back to that way, you're cut off. Not from salvation. You're cut off from the power you need to live for Jesus. Now, does that happen to Christians? Right? How many times in Christians, you know you're not saved by works or whatever, but sometimes you, you go back to that mindset, it's just a bunch of do's and don'ts, and, and it just becomes a dry, stale, boring, man-made religion to you. And there's, there's no excitement, there's no passion, there's no daily walk with Jesus. And, and it's just about, you know, this list of 50 things you can't do, and here's, here's this growing list of things that you say you can do because you've decided that that's a gray area and it gets all, you know where I'm going. I tell people, you know, you want to know if something's right or wrong? Because, you know, you'll hear Christians. It's usually after you've been saved for a couple of years. And now that you're so wise in Christ. Because you know, when you first got saved and you're immediately indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you don't know hardly any of the Bible. But man, the moment you start, if you were to pick up a, a bottle of whiskey, what's he going to do? He's going to convict you. Did you need a sermon on it? Did you have to have a pastor tell you something on it? Right, that's walk and live and keep instead of the Spirit. The Spirit will let you know. Right? But see, when you get older and wiser as Christians... Well, that's a gray area. Really, really. I don't think there are any gray areas. Because when you walk and live and keep in step of the Spirit, the Spirit will let you know immediately. In fact, what I've learned is all you've got to do is ask yourself, Christian, if you want to know any behavior, any, any direction, anything that you're doing, okay, is, is acceptable to God, right? All you've got to ask yourself is this. Is this behavior, thought, direction, whatever I'm doing, is it going to help or hinder my walk with Christ? Is it going to help or hinder my witness for Christ? Immediately you'll have your answer. And if that still isn't clear and you still want to push it, then do this. Okay, this behavior, this thing, this thing that you're contemplating, this behavior, whatever that you said is a gray area. I tell you what, Jesus Christ is coming to your house for supper tonight. I want you to do that behavior in front of him. Oh, you really got your answer then, don't you? See, that's the games we play. Right? And that's what Paul says. We walk by means of the Spirit. But if you want to go back to just a bunch of rules and regulations... You ain't got no power to live for Christ, right? Does that ever happen to Christians? Yeah, it happens all the time. 
Okay, and that's what these people do. They'll bring up passage. I, I don't have time to get into all of them, but they'll bring up passage after passage. Oh, no, I'm going to spit you out. It's not, you cut off the ground. I'm disqualified. Ugh. You're messing up the context. That's not what it's talking about. All right, and by the way, God doesn't contradict himself. If he says over here abundantly clear, and we'll get to that in just a second, that you can't, why would he say you can't over here? That's not, that's not how God works. Okay, anytime you see an, a, a possible contradiction, it's because man's involved in it, not God. God doesn't contradict himself. That's your first clue. Now, the third mistake they make is they not only forget about the counterfeits, the context, they forget about what's called the corruption of man, right? The corruption of man. And this is what Paul talks about, right? If you're everybody on this planet who your whole goal in life was to build up your self-esteem, to feel so good about yourself. Let's let the Apostle Paul tear you down. Right? This is, I love this passage. One of my favorite ones, right? You think you're so cool? Are you kidding me? God will set you straight. Romans 3, 9 through 18. What shall we conclude then? <clears throat> Are we any better? Uh, no, not at all. Right? In fact, we've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. Who's that? That's called everybody on the planet. Because if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Right? All alike are what? We're under sin right in fact as it's written how many is righteous there is no one righteous and i love this oh in fact uh in case you didn't get that phrase uh not even one okay uh there is no one who understands no one who seeks god wait a second i don't know this guy who sought god but did he really seek god for god or was something other motive involved think about that all have turned away they be together become what worthless Uh oh there goes your self-esteem there is no one who does good not even one in fact their throats are open graves their tongues practice deceit the poison of vipers is on their lips the mouth their mouths are full of of cursing and bitterness so the bible is very clear it says their feet are swift to shed blood ruin and misery mark their ways in the way of peace they do not know why because there is no fear of god before their eyes wow that explains a lot in our society if people had a healthy fear of god would they be doing what they're doing no, right? But they don't fear God. They don't fear what's going to happen. That when you sin, you're storing, and if you're not a Christian, you're storing up God's wrath, right? That's all you're doing, man. All the stuff you're doing is storing up more wrath, heaping more wrath, right? As you head straight to hell. You're not afraid. You don't have no fear of God. And that's why our society is out of control. But the Bible says, how many people are righteous? None. How many understand the things of God? How many truly, honestly, solely seek God? None. How many are as good as God? Right? So guess what? That's called the doctrine of depravity, or in other words, the corruption of man. There is nobody on this planet that is going to stand before God and say, Hey, God, I escaped it all, the corruption. I'm worthy to get... No! The Bible says it's a level playing field. Jew and Gentile, you're all doomed straight to hell. Got it? The Bible's very clear about that. That's why God uses certain terms in the scripture to describe our salvation, that it is absolutely safe and complete and secure because of this issue, because of the corruption of man, right? He's telling you, listen, if our salvation was up to us, and I'm talking not even 1%, I'm talking about 0.000001%, if you're honest with the corruption of man, then how many of us are ever going to get there? None. We're all doomed straight to hell. That's why when he talks about salvation, he says, because of the corruption of man, first of all, I had to give it to you as a gift. Because corruption can't earn it. 
right? And this is what we see, of course, uh, in this passage, Romans 3, 23, and then Romans 6, 23. Again, right after Paul lays it down, you're all doomed and nobody's good, no righteous. He said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Everyone, Jew and Gentile, we deserve to die and go straight to hell because of the corruption of man. But here's the good news. The what of God? The, the offer that you can earn? The thing that you could add to? Well, the God that God's going to pay 50%, but the rest is up to you? No, the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no way we can earn our salvation because of the corruption of man. God says it has to be, and it is, a gift from God. In fact, that's the only way we could get saved. Because we're all disqualified. And once you sin, you sin. It's just like a, a permanent marker. It can't get off. You could try to scrub it off. You can't, it ain't coming off. Right? So guess what? If something's going to happen, it's going to have to be a gift. Well, that's what he said. Salvation is a gift. We had discerned with our corruption death. We deserve to die and go straight to hell. Gift is a gift, right? Now, listen, here's the logic. If salvation is offered as a gift, regardless of our corruptive behavior, then logically, how could there be a behavior that could cause us to lose the gift? Right? And if there was, then guess what? It wasn't a gift. But God says it's a gift. And it has to be. Because nobody can get there unless I do gift them. Right? Now that's the first term that's used. The next term that is used is it's not only salvation is a gift. It's by faith. Right? It's by faith. And this is the classic passage we see, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is, again, the gift of God. Okay? Not of what? Works so that no one can boast. Okay? So, again, does the Bible say anybody on the planet can earn your salvation? Absolutely not. It's a gift, but it's a gift that you receive by God's grace. But it's by faith. Right? Because, again, that's just pure logic. Number one, how many guys were there and you saw Jesus die on the cross for you? Please don't raise your hand. Uh, so, so, so you have to take God's... He tells us in the Bible. That's how we learn about it. Right? So you've got to receive it by faith. But it's also by faith because he made it very clear it is not of works. Right? So you have to receive it by faith. So it's just, here's a gift... And again, that's the problem. It's offered as a gift, but when do you get to open the gift? When do you get to enjoy the gift? When do you get to experience the benefits of what's entailed in the gift? It's when you receive it, but you receive it how? By faith, right? And so that's the logical question. Wait a second. If salvation is obtained by faith in God, not works by God, then how could there be a work that I could work my way out of this salvation from God. Right? And again, that's what is very concerning to me with the charismatic community. On the one hand, they'll say, oh no, you don't work for your salvation. Right? They say, you don't work for your salvation, but they're saying, in essence, but you can work yourself out. Again, you don't work for, but they say you could work out that folks that's all that's the same side of the coin it's just on the one side you say, but flip it around it's works 
You're saying you could work yourself out of it. Well, if you think you could work yourself out of your salvation, which is a gift and by faith and not of works, then do you you understand what salvation is? Do you understand what the gospel is? And what are you trusting in? And if you're trusting even in an ounce of works, whether to get it or to not lose it, then you're not trusting in grace. That's what's concerning to me. I don't know how far you can push that. But you can push it, I think, so far that you're really not trusting in faith. You haven't received the gift. It's not of grace because you think you've got to keep it by your works, which means that's not the gospel. That's what's very concerning to me. You forgot about the corruption of man. The fourth thing is you forgot about the atonement, the atonement of Christ. Okay, is there? Now, uh, I'm kind of thinking that Jesus made many explicit statements that uh, when you're safe, you're safe forevermore. And I don't know how you get around this one. This was John 19, 28 and 30. Jesus knew everything, okay, uh, knew that everything was now what? finished how much was everything right so that means nothing needs to be added everything's done the mission is complete you made it to the finish line there it is it's what finish and then to fulfill the scriptures he said i am thirsty and when jesus had tasted he said quote it is here's the second time what finished notice the exclamation point it is finished and then he bowed up his head and he gave up his spirit okay So I know you guys, it might be a little bit late tonight, but I think you can get the right answer. But when Jesus said, uh, it is finished, uh, the work on the cross for our salvation, how many guys think he meant it was finished? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, you would think that that would be, you know, pretty obvious, but here's the problem. You see, when a person says, in essence, that you can lose your salvation, then basically what they're saying is Jesus did not finish the work on the cross. Hang with me, because that's really what's going on here. You're saying, even though Jesus said it twice, it is finished, you're saying, no, it's not finished. And here's where the game plays, even in the charismatic community. And unfortunately, they're not the only ones who believe that you can lose your salvation, which is ridiculous, okay, and unbiblical, dare I say, right? But, but then that's when the game plays, because everybody has the sin. The sin that you can commit, and you're going to lose your salvation, Right? And, and we all know that sin is bowling. Because we all know that black ball rolling down that alley with all those sinners in that place. That's a pathway straight to hell. And that ball represents the devil's eye. And you're... <laughs> did you know people actually did... Wasn't that long ago? Several decades? That was the thing? Don't you ever go to the bowling alley, man. That's the devil's playground. You're going to... You're going to die. You're going to lose your salvation. Don't you ever go to the movie theater? You know? And see, everybody has their list. You go to this church that believes you can lose your salvation, they've got their list. You go to this one that's really conservative, they've got a list that's 75. Well, they only had 50. I think I'll go to this one. You know? it's, everybody's got their list. But, excuse me, what did Jesus say? It's finished. How many sins does he forgive? All sins. Then who are you to pluck a sin out of the air, whether it's 1, 5, 50, 75, and say, not this one. Ooh. Now, I've said this before. It's kind of graphic, but this is, in essence, what you're doing. You're crawling up to the cross, and you're slapping Jesus in the face. I don't recommend that. Because you're saying he didn't finish the job, and the rest is up to you by staying away from these certain ones. Wow. 
Now, one that they will in, in, they'd say, well, I ain't got 50, there's, there, but there is one. There is one. This is one of the most abused passages in the Scripture, man. And it's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. If you commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you're doomed. You lost your salvation. Really? Let's take a look at the context again. Matthew is where we're at. Matthew 12, 30-31. Jesus speaking. He said, He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin... And, and blasphemy will be forgiven of men. But, uh, dun, 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 but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will what? Will not be forgiven. Therefore, that's right. If you commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you will, it won't be forgiven. You will lose your salvation. No, that's not at all what's going on there. Once again, you go back up to this issue, you are completely out of context. You read that passage there in Matthew 12, Jesus is performing the miracles. The context in Jesus himself tells us what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Right? And this is the game what people play. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is after you went bowling, which was bad enough, <laughs> some other goofball thing. You went, you rode a skateboard. And we all know those skateboarders. <laughs> it's just, are you kidding me? But see, they, they fill in the blank. They, they, what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Well, that's, that's saying this or that's doing that. It's like it's, you're not even reading the chapter. You're making it up. You're picking a sin and putting it in there as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is defined in the context. The context there is Jesus is doing miracles. And the peop, some people came up to him and said, they couldn't deny the miracles. He was healing people, right? And they said, oh, we know where you're getting this power. You're doing that power from Satan, not the Spirit of God. Hence, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So look at what's going on in that chapter. So in order to commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, there has to be some parameters according to that text. First of all, Jesus has to be physically on earth you have to physically be there with him while he is performing a physical miracle. And then you physically to his face say, hey, Jesus, you're doing that under the power of Satan, not the spirit of God. That's the only way you can commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Here's the problem. Is Jesus on the planet right now in order to be able to commit that sin? No. So you can't commit the sin today. That sin was only happening when he was on this earth. Now, I'll give you this. Maybe in the millennial kingdom, when, which we're not concerned about, because when we get raptured, we lose the sin nature. We get to be a part of the millennial kingdom. We won't have a sin nature, so we won't be of that camp. But the people who repopulate with the sin nature of the millennial kingdom, with Jesus ruling and reigning on the planet, maybe, maybe they could do it then. But can it happen today? No, why? Because Jesus is not here physically. He's not physically here performing miracles, which means we cannot physically accuse him to his face of doing this under the power of Satan, not the spirit. Completely out of context, right? So you can't commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's a straw man argument, okay? And oh, by the way, when Jesus said it's finished, he not only says it's finished, the scripture also adds another word on there. It's finished forever. Okay, which means it didn't get started for a while, and then he changes his mind, or it goes only for a little while, but then you've got to finish the job, right? Let me give you just one passage here, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by a single offering, he, Jesus, has what? He isn't just cleansed, he's what? Completely cleansed. Back up one more. He hasn't just cleansed and completely cleansed. How long has he completely cleansed us? 
Forever. How long's forever? Uh, kind of means a long time. <laughs> yeah. Those who are consecrated and made holy. Notice it's made holy. You don't earn holiness. He makes you holy through his sacrifice on the cross. So again, if Jesus forever cleanses us from our sins to the point where we're considered perfect in God's eyes and we are considered perfect forever, which means and implies we can never become imperfect and then he slaps on, it's finished. How many guys, is that secure or what? How much more language do you need to say when you're saved, it's finished, it's done, you're perfect, it's forever. Isn't that good news? But then these people would sit there and say, oh, no, no, no. There's a, there's a sin out there somewhere. Man, you better pay attention to the atonement of Christ. When he forgives all, he forgives all. And you could whip out your blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But can I tell you something? You're even sinning because you're taking it out of context. Right? But guess what? Even that sin can be forgiven if you turn to Christ is the irony. Now, the fifth mistake they make is uh, what I call just common sense, man. Just common sense passages and verbiage that's used in the scripture again and and this is the first one that we see god uses terms not just forever okay to describe our salvation but he uses another one in here right john chapter 3 verse 3 in reply jesus declared i tell you the truth no one can see the kingdom of god unless what's the qualification he is born again right it's common sense If you're going to get it to heaven, you got to be born again. Yet, again, these people, to me, unfortunately, are not applying common sense, okay? Uh, Because, think of this term that's used here. Uh, Born again, right? By nature of being born, it's an... We talked about this at the end last time. At the nature of being born, it means it's an irreversible procedure, Right? Of all terms for God to use to describe our salvation, to get to heaven, it's, you're born. It's, it's a birth, right? You can't unborn yourself, right? It, it, can we at least agree on that? Raise your hand. You're scaring me because you guys are looking weird, right? You can't unborn yourself. Now, you say, oh, I can kill myself. No, killing yourself doesn't unborn yourself. It might end your life, but you can't reverse being born, Right? And mothers, how many of you guys are glad that that doesn't happen? That the kid starts going, I want to go back. That would be kind of freaky. But you can't. So he uses terms to describe an irreversible procedure. That once it's happened, it's it's forever. You can't change it. And why would you want to change it? But you can't. One guy puts it this way. He says, listen, when one is born of the Spirit, it is something that can never be undone. You can't get your leg back if if you had it amputated. You can't be unborn after you're born. And some things can never be reversed once they are done. And I hesitate to use this analogy, but I have to. He says, you cannot unscramble eggs. And neither can you unhatch a chicken. Because believe you me, if you could. You know what my new mission in life would be, but you can't. Those critters come out of that egg and you can, oh, look. But you can't put it back in the egg. Right? But that's what he said. God uses terms to describe our salvation. It is safe, it's complete, it's secure, and it's irreversible. Okay? Is what he says there. And that's the first one there with the being born again. Now, the second one again uh, kind of builds on the issue of forever. And this is what John says. First John 5.13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that 
you may know, not question, not wonder, not maybe, not might, not even just hope for, man, if I can somehow get there, that you may know that you have what? Eternal life, right? So how many of you guys realize that common sense tells us that uh, eternal implies something that lasts forever, right? And not only that, this is what these guys, they, they're not applying common sense. The Bible says that you're born again. So they're actually saying, no, you can unborn yourself, which is ridiculous. Well, the Bible says that you can know that you have, not maybe not might, you got it, it's in possession, eternal life. Well, what they're implying is then somehow at some point, eternal life can somehow become uneternal. But by nature of being eternal, you can't ever... Again, this is the terms that God uses to describe our salvation, that it lasts forever. You can't lose that which lasts forever, that which is irreversible, that which is a, a procedure that cannot be undone and it lasts for all eternity. Amen. Right? And this is, again, common sense things that God talks about. Now, let me give you another one. Uh, it's this passage here, common sense thing, 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, 16 through 17. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you're a born again Christian, here, he, whoo, this is great. He is a what? New creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Right? So the Bible says when you get saved, man, praise God, you become a new creation. Okay? And this is another common sense things that they're violating. Right? New means new. Old means old. It's pretty right? You're you're brand new. You're you're not the same person. Right? You don't can anybody agree? In fact, if, if you said you got saved and nothing changes, uh, that's a that's a red flag. Okay, but when you get saved, man, do you think the same? Do you act the same? Your heart changes, your desire changes, all of a sudden you don't don't just want to read the Bible, now it starts actually making sense. Why? Because you're involved with the Holy Spirit. He begins to illuminate. You want to witness, you want to share, you want to spend time with God, right? You're a new person, you're a new creation of Christ. But see, here's what the they're not applying common sense. When you get saved, your brand's making new. But they would actually say, Well, wait a second, wait a second. What if a, a Christian one day were to wake up and just say you know what? I not only want to go back to my old way of life, but I want to give up my salvation. I want to throw it away, and I want to go straight to hell. Right? Because they'll, they'll say this. You mean to tell me that God's going to force somebody to stay saved if they didn't want to be saved? That's real, What? That's called a straw man argument. We just saw when you come to Christ, you're a what? A new creation. No born-again creation. New creation with a new mind, a new heart, a new direction. Who loves Jesus and can't wait to see him. And is thankful for this eternal security. And you can't wait to get to heaven. It's all safe and secure. He's going to say, well, yeah, I changed my mind. I want to go straight to hell. And you better not stop me, God. Nobody's going to do that. Again, this is what we did. The experiment last week. I'll do it again. How many of you guys right now are born-again Christians? Raise your hand. How many of you guys right now as a born-again Christian uh, uh, want to say, tonight, Jesus, I want to give up my salvation. I want to go straight to hell. Keep your hand up. I've never seen you guys move so fast in my life. Right? It's re- That's my point. It's a straw man argument. No Christian. You're a new creation, a creation in Christ. Nobody's thinking that. Nobody would ever think that. It's ridiculous. They're not applying common 
sense, okay? God saves us. We're new. It's forever. It can't be irreversed, okay? It's by faith. It's a gift, right? You can't earn it. Praise God. It's secured. Now, uh, the last one, of course, I'm saving it for the last. We just dealt with our last time, just one text in John chapter 6. And the big thing to me, all right, you can sit there and they forget the counterfeits. They take passages completely out of context. The Bible does not say you can lose your salvation. They forget about the corruption of man. They forget about the atonement of Christ. Meaning, again, that there's some sin out there he didn't forgive. Whew, I'll stand over here with a lightning bolt and get you, right? Uh, they forget about common sense verbiage that God uses to describe it. But again, they forget about, frankly, okay, what about all those clear passages <laughs> that flat out say there's no way you're losing it, right? Do you just skip over those? And again, you have to deal with that because God does not contradict himself. And when you let the scriptures clearly speak for themselves, God reiterates the good news, again, especially because of the corruption of man. It is complete. Right? Because again, if our salvation was up to us, folks, I'm talking again, not even 1%. 0.0001%, we're all doomed straight to hell. So I've said this before. Therefore, salvation has to be 100% or this whole thing's a pipe dream. Right? But praise God. God says it's not a pipe dream. It really is secure because it's a gift and you take it by faith and it has eternal consequences. Right? But let me give you just a few of those passages uh, that God's very redundant about that. John chapter 5, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. Right? John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will what? Never drive away. John 10, 20. I give them eternal life, and they shall what? Never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. That includes you, by the way. Romans 8, 35, 38 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How many guys would say that covers everything? You cannot be separated when you're in Christ. It's guaranteed. 1 Corinthians 1.8 He, God, will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.21-22 Now it is God. Who makes us? God makes us both. Us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. What's the word there? Guaranteeing what is to come. You got the spirit of God, which happens at the moment of salvation. It's the guarantee you're going to get there. Ephesians 1.14, the spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us everything he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. It's just one more reason for us to praise our glorious God. Amen and amen that one right philippians 1 6 being confident of this that he who god who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of christ jesus second timothy 4 18 the lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom hebrews 7 25 therefore he is able to save completely how much completely those who come to god through him because he always lives to intercede for us is jesus he's always living to intercede for us then how could we ever lose that? It's crazy. Hebrews 9, uh, 12. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained what kind of redemption? Eternal redemption. Hebrews 9, 15. For this reason, Christ is the meteor of a new covenant, and those who are called may receive the promise. What kind of inheritance? 
eternal inheritance. 1 Peter 1, 3, 4. He has given us new birth into a living hope, into an inheritance, listen, I love this, that can what? Never perish, keep going with never, never spoil, never fade. Where is that thing kept? In heaven. Who's going to crawl up to heaven and take it out of God's vault? Nobody. It is secure. You talk about, mm. and First Peter 1, 8 through 9. Though, and, and because of that, here's what we do down here on earth. Though you have not seen him, you what? Ooh, don't you love him? Man, that it is secure. And even though you don't see him now, you what? You believe in him. And you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Now, I've told you before, the words that's used here, the joy there in the Greek, okay? Uh, it literally, uh, the verbiage is just like, uh, this will help undo that chicken analogy. You ever, it, it, you ever let cows out of a stall? Uh, they've been pinned up for a long time, right? You ever see them when you open the gate? Man, they don't just come out. Them babies, they're, they're kicking. Woo-hoo-hoo. They're free. Woo-hoo. And that's the words that's used here. It isn't just, well, I'm joyful about what Jesus has done for me. It literally in the Greek is, it's an it's a, it's a, a uncontrollable joy. Literally where you're jumping up and down. Wah! It's like if we were to get home tonight and you turn on Fox News and all of a sudden they said, every chicken in the United States just died. <laughs> you wouldn't be joyful. You'd jump off the couch. Wah! Right? Okay, at least I would. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. That's what he's saying there. He says, man, because of what Jesus has done, you don't see him now, but you believe in him, and you're what? Whoa, I'm going to heaven. Nobody could take it away. I know even now as a Christian, I've blown it. I'm never, there's not a day that goes by that I'm not perfect, but I'm going to heaven. That's what he's saying. Inexpressible and glorious joy for you. What? Why are you so happy? Why you can't contain yourself? Why are you jumping up and down? Every day, dare I say. Because you are, not maybe, you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And that's why John said, 1 John 5, 13, I write these things, you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you what? May question, may wonder, may hope, may sweat bullets, may worry, be filled with anxiety. No, that you may know that you have not just life, but eternal life. How many ways and how many different ways does God have to tell us that when he saves us, he saves us absolutely, completely? And I got two concerns for the charismatic community. First of all, you forgot about the counterfeits, the context, the corruption of man, the atonement of Christ, the use of common sense, and, and that ain't all of the passages, folks. And uh, two things that concern me. If you still think that somehow you can lose it, you don't have that joy. And dare I say, here's another thing you don't have. You don't have peace. Because you're always freaking out. And those who preach that from the pulpit, you're instilling a false fear into people. Shame on you. After what Christ has done for us, you're denigrating the cross. Knock it off. But again, here's my concern. I don't know the heart. But how far can you push the fact that you say, but the Bible doesn't say, but you say you could work yourself out of your salvation? And you're really not trusting in grace. You're trusting in your own works. Which means you haven't received the gospel. Which means, you know what? You are in trouble. And it's not in trouble of losing your salvation. But if you're trusting your works, you better get it. You've never had it. And maybe that's why you're freaking out. I could share testimony after testimony 
I had uh, two of the elders that I served with when I was pastor in New York. They would tell me of a church that preached that you can lose your salvation. And they said it was the most horrid, wretched experience. For years, they were under that lie. And they said, man, every Sunday they went forward at the altar. Every Sunday. Because they couldn't make it a week. And they said, in fact, uh, he says they, they would get up there. And he says he, he, he would have just a momentary as he's praying, asking Jesus to forgive him again. You know, i.e. save him again. Right? That because he had sinned, uh, he would sit there and says, I just, it was only for like a nanosecond. Because he says, I knew before the day was out, I was going to blow it again. They had no peace. And you believe me, people who appreciated the fact that our salvation is secure, it was these guys. Being under an umbrella that instills fear, you have no peace, and they don't have the joy. But this is what God gives to us. So that's my concern. How far can you push it, and you're not really even saved? So the issue is not can you lose your salvation, it's do you really have it? Or, if you do have it, put your... Read God's word. Get back to God's word and receive that peace and jump up and down with joy because it is complete in Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. In fact, no matter how crippled you might feel by sin, no matter if you can't spiritually walk anymore, maybe you're in a spiritual ditch and your legs are giving out, the Bible's clear. He who began a good work in you is what? He's going to complete it. You know what that means? That means... That the Father is the one who's pushing you across the finish line. He's doing the work. Like this father did with his son. Get your Kleenex out. It's time for this one. Who taught the sun where to stand in the morning? And who taught the ocean? You can only come this far And who showed the moon Where to hide till evening Whose words alone can catch a falling star Well, I know my Redeemer Love! 
You can do it. You can make it across the finish line. You know why? Team Hoyt. That father wanted his son to know what it felt like to make it across the finish line. They have, I've lost count of how many races they've ran, but they finished every time. You know why? Because the father makes sure of it. Because the finish line is in the father's hands. And he never quits and he never loses. He always finishes. And that's what Jesus has done for us. Sometimes we feel like, man, I can't walk anymore. I just, I, my walk with Christ is just all messed up. But you're going to get there. Because he who began a good work in you is going to complete it. Your salvation is not based on you pushing the chair. It's the Father pushing you. And you will get there. That's what I hope the charismatic community will understand. That's what they're missing out on. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, The the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ... Uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, Even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that's the same thing. Uh, It's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, 
and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon. That God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven. Right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you could be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.